All right, like I said, I get to talk about the coolest things from Christianity. Uh, today, uh, uh, and that cool thing is death, right? <laughs> what we have to look forward to. So I get to talk about that. I was at my family reunion about four weeks ago now, beginning of August, maybe three weeks. And as I was there, uh, I was the vice president, so I got to, I thought I got to do something, but I didn't. Um, but I was standing there and I was looking out and I was seeing all the people that I used to come to our family reunion that's no longer there. And um, I also had, and so I was sitting there thinking about the reunion that I'm going to have with them in another time of, another phase of my redemption with Jesus, right? Another time with Jesus, which will be at death, they've already crossed that line. Um, and they're there, and I will get to see them again. So I had this family reunion that was here with me, but there will be a family reunion in heaven. And you know that everyone who is part of the family of faith is in that family. So we are going to be there. And I also was, had someone ask me about my thoughts on death recently. And, uh, and the Lord just put together there at the family reunion about death and reunion, which is what it is for us. We get the joy of meeting Christ face to face. Soon, as soon. I mean, you might say, oh, I'm 20. I've got, you know, at least 70 years left or 100 years. Uh, but that's really soon. <laughs> soon. Anyway, so I thought I would go ahead and talk about, first of all, death of the body, right? The Bible tells us what death is, and it tells us what death is not. It is not oblivion. It is not unconscious sleep. It is not a chance to start over and to come back and live another life, like reincarnation, which is very popular. If you were to think, what do all the religions of the world believe? Um, the East believes in reincarnation. I'm going to die. I'm going to go to judgment. And then I'm going to come back. And in the East, they think they can come back as an animal, for instance. Or they can come back as a human. And in India, they have a caste system that says, I'm in the lowest class, so I must have done very badly in my previous life. And I have to pay for my sins. So the caste system becomes very cruel because if you're in the higher caste and there's someone there begging for food or needing help, you look at them and say, if I help this person, then they won't be paying for their sins. And so I will be hurting them in the long run if I help them in the short run. And so it puts in a place a very cruel system where, and if you come in in the high caste, then that means you did well in your previous lives, so this is the idea of reincarnation. By the way, when the New Age hit America back in the last century and everybody was talking about reincarnation, there was an interesting dynamic. In America, you can't come back as an animal, right? You come back as a better human. <laughs> Pretty much was the thought, right? So anyway, the Bible tells us what death is not, and it is not those things. So I would... Today I'm going to mostly be reading scripture to you. And, and I was thinking, you know, 
so many of us take for granted. We've been in church so long, and we say, oh, I know all this. This is all the things that everybody knows. I don't have to be taught it, but there's a time when we, when we have been here a long time, overlook that there's some people that don't know these basic things about Christianity. If I was just saved and I just knew that Jesus loved me, I wouldn't necessarily know all of these basic things that we take for granted. So I think it is good to review some of these over time. So I'm going to read some scriptures here. Um, first one I'm going to read is that, the bo- that Jesus talks about the body and the soul, and he makes a difference between them. There's some people, if, if you're in America now and you're an atheist, you probably believe your soul is part of your biology, part of the flesh, and it's just a function of synapsis firing. And your mind, your will, and your emotions are a part of your physical body, and when you die, that ends. That would be a common, I believe, I don't, I'm not an atheist, so I, I think that that would be how they think, right? But Jesus says this about the body and the soul. Uh, Matthew 28, 8. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Um, So Jesus makes a very clear differentiation between the body and the soul. And we're going to read about a very um, picturesque uh, description that Jesus gave us about the afterlife in Luke 16. Luke 16, and Jesus said this as he was telling, as he was, anyway, this is from Jesus. (laughs) There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. At his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that in your lifetime, You receive good things, and Lazarus in a like manner, bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you is a great chasm. A chasm has been fixed in order that those who pass from here to you may not be able, and none may pass from there to us. And he said, he being the rich man, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. 
And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to them, he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Well, we can draw some things from this that Jesus told us. One is that death, what death is. Death is conscious, not asleep. Death is joy and rest and comfort for the righteous. Joy, uh, death is a place where reunion happens. We see Lazarus and Abraham are there. They know each other and they also can, well, in this case they could see who was in not in paradise. We see that death is torment for the unrighteous. We see that death is not a party for the unrighteous. Instead, it is a sincere, it's a sincere wish for the loved ones, for their loved ones to be saved from torment. And we see that death is parting of the body and the soul. Now, this picture that Jesus gave us was when he was still alive and he had yet to have victory on the cross, right? So this is a picture of the grave at that time or Sheol. And so we see there that in Sheol there was, seems to be two places, paradise and a place of torment. And so we know that Jesus said to the thief on the cross, tonight you will be with me in paradise. And so we see that. Now, in my re scripture reading, I found that there is uh, evidence that when Jesus went to the grave, it could not hold him. And so there, I, I'm not saying that this, this is just what I was reading as I was preparing for the sermon, that Jesus may have shut down paradise in the grave, and now the captives have been led out by him. And so I don't know where they go. I will have to say the word heaven, okay? So... When Jesus had victory on the cross and he went down, he also brought the captives out of the grave. The grave could not hold Jesus, right? Now, there's some words that we see in the New Testament and the Old Testament that I want to talk to you about. The first word is a Hebrew word called Sheol, and it means the abode of the dead, or you can translate abode to however you want to translate it. But where the, and then the next word is the word Hades, which is a Greek word that the Greek people used, and that was a place of the land beyond, right? So both Hades, which is used in the New Testament, and Sheol, because the New Testament has more Greek, and Sheol, which is used in the Old Testament, have the same idea, that that is where the dead go, right? In the Old Testament, the dead would go to Sheol, Right? And we see in this picture that in the case of Lazarus, the angels escorted him to Abraham's side. But in the case of the rich man, there was no fanfare. Similar to what you see in Genesis when you see the line of Seth, and it talks about all of the descendants of Seth and how long they lived, and then it says, and then they died. But when it talks to the descendants of Cain, it says they live this long, and they don't say, and then he, they died. They, it totally skips, and then he died. It's interesting to, you, to me. Anyway, so in 
There's another word that's introduced here in uh, the New Testament called Gehenna or hell. That's how our English word is translated. And Gehenna was the Valley of Hinnon, which was outside of Jerusalem. And in the old days, like in Solomon's time, his wives got out there and they started sacrificing. Well, I don't know if his wives, but in this valley, they did sacrifice children to Molech by burning them in the fire, right? Uh, I believe it was described they have this iron statue and they fill it up with fire and they put the babies on and let them burn to death. So this was one of the horrible things they did there. And that place became a place where they burned all the trash and unwanted bodies. And so... It, it began to become a picture of final, the final place where the unrighteous will go. It's a picture of the lake of fire. And so Jesus uses the word Gehenna or hell 11 times in, in place of the final place of judgment, right? So if we read Revelation, it says that the great and small stood before the throne and the books were opened, and another book was opened, and a man was judged according to everything he had done. Jesus says that we will account for every idle word. Man will account for every idle word. Uh, anyway, so the books were opened, and uh, people were judged according to what they had done. And then if their name was not written in the book of life, they were cast into the lake of fire. And Jesus tells us in the New Testament that that lake of fire was prepared for the devil and his angels, not for us. But that's where they will go as well. All right. Now, to the matter of happiness, right? We want to get off of that. The final judgment is not for those who believe, right? Who have faith in Jesus. Uh, what we have is looking forward to death. I want to read what Paul says here in Philippians 1.20. He says, uh, and I had, I wanted to start out at B, but I didn't think they would be able to put that on the screen. So, as it is my, my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, like I am right here now and like you are in this room, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which I choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. So here we see Paul is like, if I'm alive here, I have the opportunity to live by faith in Jesus, right? I can say, you have the opportunity for fruitful labor. You are the ability to, in faith, when you're walking through this life with Jesus, the good deeds that he has put in your life for you to do, that he's preordained for you, you're going to run across them and you'll be having fruitful labor. You can trust Jesus to put good things for you to do that are from his kingdom and through faith for you to do. Uh, and you can do what you want outside of that. <laughs> but whatever you do, when you're doing what you want, like the this good Samaritan, he said he was going about his business and he had compassion on this fellow and he did something. Jesus said, go and be like, do likewise, right? 
All right, so I just thought, uh, as over the years, I have picked up a few verses that have described hell, I mean death, outside of this, um, God's view on death. Uh, I had a good friend back in Germany when we were first there, before Jenna was born, I believe. No, after, because we were in the next apartment. But his name was Bob Rocha. He worked with me. And he had anger against God. Um, I don't know if it ever got fixed, but at least I got these verses out of it. So, uh, he had a friend who was a Christian mentor who was helping roof the church building. And uh, he died of a heart attack. And Bob was there. And he, he couldn't believe why God would let this man die. You know, it's like to him that was, that was a bad thing because of the loss that he experienced, right? And that's how we are as Christians. We have loss when we lose loved ones, um, but we have hope for reunion, right? And that's the difference between us and people who have no hope in heaven. So here are two verses the Lord gave me during that time. Psalm 116, 15. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. God is watching. He is watching. And precious in his eyes are the death of his saints. Secondly, in Isaiah 57, 1, we read, The righteous man perishes. This is, this is important because this is right, right along with what Bob was having issues about, right? 57, chapter 57 in Isaiah, the first verse. The righteous man perishes, and no one lays it to heart. Devout men are taken away, while no one understands. For the righteous man is taken away from calamity. He enters into peace. They rest in their beds who walk in their uprightness. And so as we look, this is just reinforces Jesus' picture of the grave where he showed us a picture of paradise with Abraham where the righteous were taken by the angels as opposed to where the unrighteous go. And so here is a thought on the unrighteous from the Lord. In Ezekiel, he says this twice. Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, and not rather that he should turn from his way and live? And again in Ezekiel 33, 11, he says, Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. So we see that God knows about our deaths, and he has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. It's not something he desires that the wicked die. He desires for all to turn and to be saved. Uh, I learned from a very wise man what the first repentance is. What is the first repentance? It is turning to Jesus and saying, you are God and I am not. You are Lord and I am not. That's the first repentance. Come as you are. Come as you are with all your failures, with all your sin, with all of the stuff that you've done wrong, with all of the hatred, with whatever it is, come and say, you are Lord and I am not. Help me. I need to be saved. That's the first repentance. Thank you, Alan. That was Alan was that wise man. Um, so 
Uh, it's one thing we talked about this, but in the, in the redemption of us, right? So we're all here, and we somehow, somehow we came to know that Jesus was Lord, and he has adopted us, as Paul says, adopted us into the family of faith, and we are now saved from the family we, we were born in, which is the family of sinners, right? We were saved from our family, and we were adopted into the family of faith. We changed our citizenship from the country of sin, where we were sinners, to the country of the kingdom of God, and now we are citizens of heaven, right? And our redemption starts on that first repentance, and it says, and then Jesus is there, and he and the Spirit comes, and he, we become born again, right? We become born again. We now receive the Spirit from God somehow, some mystical way. We're sealed by the Spirit, and now with that Spirit, we have communion with God. That was something that was lost to our family way back in the beginning, right? When Adam died, what died? His body died, right, at 930 years or something like that, but... His communion with God was broken right away. The first thing that happened was they felt shame. And in their shame, they were afraid. And in their fear, they tried to control things. And that's what the path of sin is for all of us. As Christians, we sin, and then we're ashamed. And then we're afraid of God. Like Pauline was saying this morning, I was thinking of things from the past, and I was running from God. But I need to turn back to him. So when it's the same picture, the same picture today as it was in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve were afraid. They covered themselves. They hid from God. They hid from God. And God says, where are you? Because he's looking for us, right? And so Adam finally had to say, here I am. <laughs> All right, so... We have this cycle in, of sin in our lives called that we sin, we receive shame from that sin, we try to hide it, we're afraid, we try to hide it and control things, but Jesus says, turn to me, right? Put your sin on me, I have washed you by my blood. I'll mention it, you notice that when Adam and Eve um, sinned and they tried to use fig leaves, it says that the Lord created clothes for them out of skin, which implies that something had to die to cover that sin. That was the first sacrifice and set the pattern for sacrifice so that when Cain came and he gave the vegetables, it wasn't the same. It was like the fig leaves. Anyway, that's another sermon. So let's talk about part of redemption. So the first redemption is... We're born of the Spirit. And then we're being sanctified and our souls are being changed to be more like Christ through our life. And then we come and we die. And we go to be with Christ, which is a great hope of ours. Uh, you may have heard the song, One fine morning when this life is o'er, I'll fly away. Just a few more weary days and then I'll fly away. All right, did you know that song was written in the Depression? It's a Depression song. So when times are tough, we have hope. Just a few more weary days and then I fly away. 
I will go and be with Jesus, as Paul was talking about, right? But there's one more part of redemption that you may not be aware of, that God is redeeming you completely. When you make that repentance, he redeems you completely. First, it's your spirit. Your communion with God is restored. Then your soul is being sanctified. And in the end, he will actually redeem your body. You will be raised from the dead, and we will be reunited alive in Christ. And that is the final part of redemption for the Christian. Anyway, so I'm going to go ahead and read some of these Old Testament scriptures that talk about uh, redemption, right? Job, okay, the book of Job, how old is it? Uh, It's about 4,000 B.C., the book of Job, he was at the time of the patriarchs. They didn't have money. Uh, one of Abraham's grandsons is listed as his friend, at least the name is. It doesn't mean that he was after Abraham. It could have been at the same time of Abraham. It could have been uh, the scripture that Abraham brought out of the land of Ur. Could have been. Uh, all we know is that he's in the time of the patriarchs. And if you get a chronological Bible, they'll put Job at Genesis chapter 11 and then Job. Right. This is the time of the patriarchs. And so here is Job in verse in in Job 19, 25 through 27. Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. It happened. Oh, that with an iron pen and lead, they were engraved in rock forever. For I know that my redeemer lives And at the last, he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God, whom I will see for myself, and my eyes shall behold and not another. My heart faints within me. My opinion is that that verse 27, whom I will see for myself, and my eyes shall behold and not another, refutes reincarnation. All right. Then we have a very clear verse about the resurrection from Daniel, chapter 12. As Daniel is there and uh, he's receiving this word from God, and this is the word he gets. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge over your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Uh, go ahead and leave it up there, if you would. That way people can read it. So it says that all, many of those who sleep in the dust, right? And then we come to Jesus, and he makes this statement in John chapter 5. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection 
of judgment. So we see there's a difference between the resurrection of life and the resurrection of judgment. And uh, in, in Christianity, they actually call this, this idea of the resurrection of the body the final step of redemption of, our, of us as people from the from this land of sin, from the family of sin, into the family of God, is the redemption of the body. And they call this glorification. Why do they call it glorification? Well, that's what Paul calls it. That's why they call it that. He said, we will be raised, well, I'll just read it. How's that? 1 Corinthians 15, 42 through 44. And if you're ever looking for the scripture on resurrection, 1 Corinthians 15 talks about if, if Jesus isn't raised from the dead, then we have no hope at all. I mean, that is our hope, being raised from the dead. So you can read chapter 15 yourself and get the whole picture, but I'm going to pick out this part, which has to do with what happens, what our body is like. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is, shown is, what is sown like a seed in the ground, is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So if you look at the contrast of our bodies, this is talking about our body. What is sown is perishable. The corruption, we are being corrupt. We will die. Our, as you get old like me, your hair changes color. The lens in your eye gets stiff and you can't bend it. Your muscles can't bend it anymore, and so you've got to do this. When you're in your 40s, by the way, if you're not in your 40s yet, you haven't experienced that, but soon, soon. And I have bifocals, so I'm, I'm able to do, you know, look through the bottom here. But, uh, so our flesh, when, when Adam died, it says in chapter 5 of Genesis that God created man in his image, but then when Adam sinned and he had children, the children were made in Adam's image. And so we are made in Adam's image, right? And that image is one of corruption and death and the fallen state of humanity. But come along and the Lord has this plan of redemption where he will bring us back out of that. So what is sown in weakness will be raised in power. Uh, what is sown in dishonor will be raised in glory. And so we know that when Jesus came back, at that time he was not radiating light and power, and he met with the disciples, and uh, every once in a while he would be there, and they couldn't tell he was Jesus, but when they looked at him, they would finally, oh, that's Jesus, ah, this Jesus has come back from the dead, and he's standing here, and he's eating with us, right? And we see the parallels of what uh, our bodies will be, will be, there's a lot of continuity between our flesh today and our flesh then. We see that. And then 
Later in the Bible, after the Lord has ascended, he's sitting at the right hand of the Father, John meets him in Revelation chapter 1. And at this time, he's like radiating power. He's so frightening, John falls down on the ground. This one who leaned against him at the Passover table, leaned against him and said, and always talks about himself as the one Jesus loved. He sees Jesus in, in, on the Isle of Patmos where he writes the book of Revelation and he falls down. He's so afraid. It's so, he's so scary. He's radiating power. So it says we will be raised and what was sown in weakness will be raised in power. I don't know what that looks like. We just know. And I think Jesus probably should be a little more powerful than most of us. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, but he's the first fruits of the resurrection, right? Without his resurrecting from the dead, there is no Christianity. We're, this, it's a faith that should not even be. Without the, the signature, God said, it is complete. And it, Jesus was raised from the dead, right? Jesus rose from the dead. Um, I think it says both ways that Jesus rose from the dead and God raised him from the dead. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's one of those Trinity things. Anyway, So that is going to be the ultimate reunion. And we talk, there's a, in the book of Revelation, there's a chapter that, chapter 19, talks about the wedding feast of the Lamb. Blessed are those who are at the wedding feast of the Lamb. And there, and you know, remember Jesus when he was with the disciples, he says to them, um, I don't think I put it in here, but he says to them, uh, I will not drink of this cup until I am with you again in my Father's kingdom, right? So, Jesus is saying, I want to put this off, and when we get together, when the church comes to, to be the bride of Christ, we will have a wedding feast. And I believe, I believe it's my opinion, my opinion is that's when Jesus will drink of the cup again, the wine with the disciples, all right, uh, that's an opinion, so that doesn't cause you to lose your salvation if I'm wrong, okay? So when is this going to happen to us? When is the, re when is the redemption of life? When is the resurrection of life? Well, in Thessalonians it says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who, have, who are asleep. What does it mean when we say in the Bible, in the Christianity, they're asleep? It means they're dead. It means their body is sleeping in the dust, but it does not mean their soul is sleeping in the dust with their body. Their soul is with Christ. To die is gain. I want to be with Christ, and that's why Paul wants to die, but he's staying here for our sake, is what he tells them. Anyway, so I don't want you to be uninformed about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who do not have hope. Because at this time, they were expecting Jesus to come right then, and they were going to live to see that. And when some of people started dying, there was a fear in the church. But he says, this is what Paul is addressing, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died, he died, and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep, for this we declare to you by, word, by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede 
those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Don. <laughs> Since Don was the only one watching me, I thought I'd pick on her. Encourage each other with these words. We are going to be with Jesus. And if you're a Christian who is not excited about being with Jesus, then you're in a bad way. You need to get something fixed. <laughs> you need help. I need help. There's oftentimes I'm not encouraged. I, I want to watch that Netflix episode next week, right? So uh, John says in 1 John, he says, those who look forward to the coming of Jesus are pure, even as he is pure. So having that thought, if Jesus could come today, that would be the best, makes your heart pure. All right. I'm going to be closing now, and so I want to, to just rem remember this first scripture. Uh, I said this a few weeks ago as a word the Lord gave me, and I thought it would be appropriate to, to end with it. Um, Solomon said, the beginning of wisdom is fear of the Lord. And Jesus said, do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. That's not, that's not reverent fear. That's fear. I'm afraid. Lord, what do I need to do? You're the Lord. I need to be saved, right? And so Solomon said that. Ray Warren said to us one time that the end of wisdom is the love of the Lord. And then we got, for God so loved the world that he gave his only one and only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Because, in Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That is the Christian faith. That is where you translate from the, from the kingdom of sin into the kingdom of life. And you become a part of the family of faith. Now, what does Jesus also say? Hold fast to what you have until the end. So if you give up that faith midway, that's a possibility. Um, but that's another sermon. So we'll just, just letting you know, that is how you translate to the family of faith, right? And so I would like to invite us as we are having our worship team come up and lead us in our closing time. If you need prayer for anything, Please come up front, and someone will be up here to pray for you. Uh, if you don't know Jesus, and you've just come today to realize that I need a Savior, that I am going to hell if I don't know Jesus, then come on up, and we'll pray for you there.